0: here tonight. There's no other reason. And so I pray that right now you would take any other reasons and remove them, whether they're reasons in my heart or reasons in the heart of anyone sitting here. And I pray, God, that this would be a time where we just rejoice in how big you are and how great you are and how safe we are with you. Because life is tough. We live in a fallen and a wicked and a sinful world. And Satan is a thief and a liar and a murderer. And he will do all he can to destroy us. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so we just pour our love on you. Like oil on your feet. And wine for you to drink and perfume to pour out on you. God, I know that as we sit here tonight, the vast majority of the world knows absolutely nothing of this. They're going to bed tonight in fear and pain and hatred, and many of them will not wake up tomorrow in this world, but in a Christless eternity. And so, we pray, God, that you would raise up an army of worshipers and that gladness would be on the lips of the nations and that you would draw people to yourself and and that you would use us in that process. And I pray that tonight you would speak to us. Use me. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah, verse 40. Verse number 9. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on the high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. And say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. You see, the problem in the world today is people don't know who God is. They don't see him. They don't understand. Because if they did, if they could enjoy that white hot passion of his presence, as John Piper said, it would explode into worship and the nations would be glad, but they don't know God. They don't know who he is. And I believe that unfortunately, so often we don't either. We think we do, but we don't. So often we think that we've got this stuff all figured out and then we get into situations and we get into the reality of life and we suddenly realize we don't have it all figured out. We have so much to learn and it's a lot more complicated than we thought. And tonight, as I share with you the things that God's put on my heart, I just want it to be a declaration that here is your God and he's great and he's awesome See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him who measures the waters in the hollow of his hand or, the width, or with the breadth of his hands marks off the heaven who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on scales and the hills in the balance." Surely the nations, verse 15, are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Do you not know, verse 21, have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was formed? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and his people are Its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. I'm so glad that it's okay to be a grasshopper. I'm so glad that it's okay to be little and weak and helpless. And as I think through the last three years since I stood here the last time, I would say that I could characterize it very much by grasshopperishness. I really felt, more than ever before in my life, just how weak and how helpless I am. And as I share about God's greatness tonight, it's coming out of the fact that God has taken me and Clara through uh, a wonderful time of just showing us so much about about who we are and and about the hidden things in our hearts and and hidden motives and, and hidden securities And hidden things that that until you get into the deep, difficult times of life, you think everything's okay. And suddenly you find out that it's not okay. And and there's some holes there. And there's some weaknesses there. And there's some things that God, in that loving pressure of the furnace, wants to to build into your life. And to take you to different levels. uh, Places you've never been before. I love verse... Number 11, jump back to 11 there. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Isn't that beautiful? This huge, awesome God that when he spreads out his hand between his thumb and his pinky, the entire universe can fit there. And somewhere in the midst of all of that, he finds his little grasshopper that looks like a lamb and he pulls him up and he puts him in his arms and I can feel his heartbeat. And he says, you're not alone. I'm with you and I'm faithful and I'm good and I've got great plans for you. It's in those times, I think, in life for all of us where suddenly we stand at a crossroads between the reality of fear and the invitation of faith. There's a little village in France called Le Chambon. I don't know if you ever heard of that little village, an amazing little village. I'd never heard of it until recently. But in that tiny little village of 4,000 people during World War II, some brave people hid 5,000 Jews. A village of 4,000 hid 5,000 Jews from the entire Nazi machine and they all survived. If you're interested, you can go on online, just type in weapons of the spirit. There was a documentary made in 1989 by a, a, a man who was a small boy in that village during that time. And he grew up, and it wasn't until he was an, a man that he realized the awesome experience that he had gone through. For a village of 4,000 to hide 5,000 Jews. And I can imagine, can you imagine the crossroads of fear that those people faced at that moment in time? I mean, how do you, I mean, people were afraid to hide one Jew. How do you hide 5,000 Jews for the entire World War II, at least the time when they were gathering up the Jews? It was a significant decision that a group of people made it was a choice between fear and faith. And I think fear is the natural, the natural choice in our fallen state. It is, it is the natural thing that we run to in those situations what, that we find ourselves in. It's the result of us knowing, realizing in a greater way how helpless we are. And as our our dear sisters this morning shared, I just, I just, my heart was just so overwhelmed with their vulnerability at this time because Satan is brutal. And Satan will eat your lunch real fast. And there's not anything that he uses more powerfully than fear. And so we run back to the arms of that good shepherd whose hand is so big That between his thumb and his little finger, he measures the whole universe. And he holds all the waters in his hand. And he says, can you hear my heartbeat? You don't have to be afraid. I'm a whole lot bigger than this situation. It's what I call the what-if disease. And Satan comes in with the what-if disease and he'll mess us up with it. I mean, what if what if this happens? Or what if I can't handle this? Or or what if I make this decision and, and it doesn't turn out the way I think it's going to turn out? And we can, we can totally lose perspective in this life real fast with the what-if disease. We, as many of you have known and followed, God did some amazing things in the last six years uh, in our ministry and you followed the the miracle of compass and and the building that God provided, and not only the ministry there locally, as we began to see young people who had never been exposed to Jesus Christ and a personal relationship with Him come into uh, contact with with Jesus and come into a relationship with Him, uh, as as we also saw God expanding our national ministry and training youth workers. And uh, we started uh, a one-year internship program uh, and saw many uh, young youth leaders uh, go through an intensive time of understanding what it means to, to really minister to uh, the lives of, of young people. Uh, God began to expand so many things. And, and uh, you know, I, when I went into, the, into this whole thing, in fact, I think I shared this when I was here the last time. Uh, Satan tried to eat me up with a lot of what-if questions. Uh, The mafia is big in Eastern Europe and there were a lot of what-if questions like, you know, what what if the mafia comes in here and tries to do something? In fact, I had this whole scenario in my mind of how I'm going to handle the mafia uh, when they come in and I had it. It was all a a neat little package of how brave I was going to be when the mafia came in there and how how I was going to answer them with all of these uh, deep theological answers and so forth. And and, uh, and you know what? They did come. I wasn't there that night. Uh, they came one night, and, and uh, God had this wiry former drug addict who had gotten saved, who was working in the cafe that night. Uh, he just went in there and just told them what was going on and, and, uh, and kind of set everything straight. And they never came back after that. We've never had any mafia problems. Uh, we live in a country that is 80% Catholic. There are 0.02% evangelicals uh, in the in the country. In fact, probably most of the evangelical, if you got all the, uh, definitely if you got all the Baptist churches, I think all the Baptist churches could sit in these two sections right here. Total, they're probably only only I don't know how many people. They're not very many. There there are very few evangelicals in the country. It's a huge a huge Catholic population, and, and the city that we live in, Gilina. Is not only a very strong Catholic uh, city, but it's also the seat of the nationalist party. Uh, the downtown square in our town is called Mary Square, and there's a statue of Mary, and she guards the city. And so, uh, the other "what if" disease that Satan came at me, and he said, "What if the Catholic Church really makes this difficult? What if you start, uh, if you start having all these things happen?" And you know what? It it happened. The priest began to spread word that there was a cult that had opened up a cafe in town. It had to be a cult because there was an, a, a, an American with eight kids. So that had to be something from Utah or something like that. And, uh, and, but you know what? Most of the kids in town, when the priest said, don't go there, you know what they did? They went there. So, so that wasn't the problem either. What I didn't anticipate was that things would come from inside, and uh, and I think part of it part of it was because God had a lot to teach me, a lot to teach me about about just uh, ministry and and philosophy of ministry and so forth. But we went into the whole compass. Uh, uh, venture with a real desire that Compass would be a bridge between a lot of lost kids who didn't know Jesus and and some ch- local churches in town where they could become strong disciples of Jesus Christ and and we had been doing uh, interdenominational work for for about seven years on a training level training youth workers around the country and so our whole ministry had been built on this interdenominational foundation and so we went into the cafe with with a feeling like we needed to do it that way because that's who we were as an organization. And, and uh, as we got into it, I realized that it's very difficult, extremely difficult. It's, it's, it's not difficult to, to train leaders on an interdenominational level, but it's very difficult to do evangelism because people come to Christ. And then you get into all this political stuff and you got to figure out where are they going to go and who's going to be in what church and... And through the last, the last three years, things got really complicated. And, and not just with, ca- with the cafe. I, b- I believe that, that uh, Satan was really out to destroy a lot of things. And, and we had been a part of a church there. Um, and, and so much of my focus had been on the development of the cafe and getting that ministry going. And, and I hadn't really put a whole lot of focus uh, on the local church there. We were very involved in the youth ministry, but, but little by little, there were a number of issues that began to surface. And, and uh, in that short amount of time, uh, two uh, elder boards resigned. And, and about three years ago, two years, two and a half years ago, uh, there was an emergency meeting to, to elect some new, some new uh, elders. And, and again, Satan came in and said, you've got to save this thing. I mean you've you've built this ministry, you've built this all of this stuff, and if there's no place for these kids to go, then then the whole thing's gonna be a failure. Your ministry's gonna be a failure, you might as well pack everything up and go home. And and I, I began to try to 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 be the one to to figure all this stuff out. And so I was brought onto the elder board of this little church of, of only about seventy people or so, but I walked into a situation that that I was somewhat aware of but not totally aware of that it was f- just filled with a lot of of pain and hurt and dysfunction and and there were former elders that were sitting in in a small congregation that that wouldn't talk to each other and wouldn't talk to the pastor and there was hatred and it was just a very very uh unhealthy situation and I I out of fear I believe just fear to try to save everything I just began to push and try to change things and it just went from from bad to worse, and and uh, about a year and a half ago, we just began to pray. Claire and I, and just saying, God, where's this going? What's going to happen? Uh, I would come home at night after after long, long elders meetings, and I was just, I was wiped out. And and as we walked into it and trying to solve some of these other problems, uh, uh, it began to turn back on me and turn back on. On uh, the things that I was doing, and turned back on, on our ministry, and and uh, and just uh, a situation that was very uh, manipulative, and and uh, and I I found myself filled with fear. Where is this going to go? I I uh, I think what happens so often in our lives is that when we start facing the what-if questions, it always ends up taking us down a negative, a negative perspective. What if, what if this happens, or, or what if this happens? But have, have you ever thought, what would happen if, if we, as soon as the what-if, and the what-if is a natural response, but, but what if, the what-if led us somewhere else? What if the what-if led us into the supernatural? What if we totally changed our perspective and said, yeah, this is an a situation I cannot control. I'm totally out of control here. I don't know what to do. I am totally helpless. I'll tell you, if if I had the faith, I, I don't even need the faith to move a mountain. All I wanted to do was move a building, a big yellow building, out of one city and put in a different city. And there were so many times I said, "God, why are we in this city right now?" And I felt helpless. And I said, "I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know what's going to happen." And God said, you know what, this is exactly where you need to be because this is the door into the supernatural. This is the door into the world that I live because the what-if questions don't have to lead me to despair. The what-if questions can lead me into the world that he lives in. Because the what-if questions are as big as that universe that fits between his thumb and his pinky. And the what if questions lead me into that vast amount of water that fits in the palm of his hands. And Psalm 112, 7 and 8 says, He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. You know who said that? The guy with the big hand, the God who holds it all together, he says there is no reason to fear. He will have no fear of bad news. There's never been a time in the history of the universe when God has said, uh oh, it's never happened. He's never been surprised. He's never suddenly realized, wow, this thing kind of got out of hand here. It's never happened. And you see, fear can steal from you and from me some of the greatest moments of our lives. Fear can take that moment when God wants to take us somewhere we've never been. And fear will keep us where it's safe, where we can calculate everything where it all makes sense. But do you think the world that God lives in makes sense? There's no way. If it does, it's no longer the supernatural world. It's the tiny little logical world that you and I live in. And fear will keep you there, and it will keep me there. And it will keep me, from what Bruce Wilkinson says, the times when God makes heroes of normal people like you and me. Fear will steal that from you. Because we feel helpless and we have to totally trust. We don't know what to do. Do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. We're back in Isaiah 40, aren't we? Verse number 10. I will strengthen you And help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And it's true, because this is our God. Go up on the mountains of Zion and shout it, this is our God. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to live in the fear of the what-if disease, regardless of what the future might hold. Faith becomes the key that opens the door for me to walk into the supernatural. I want you to take just a minute here, and I want you to write down at least one thing, and if you can write two, that'd even be better, of moments in your life when you stood at that crossroad between faith and fear, and you decided to choose faith instead of fear. Can you think of a time? I hope you can think of a time. If you can't, then we need to have an invitation, because that's life. That's life every day. I want you to think of a time, okay? I'm going to give you 30 seconds. And I want you to write down a specific time when you naturally felt fear and you chose faith instead and you walked into something that you couldn't explain. You got 25 seconds. Fear told you to mind your own business. Don't get involved there. And faith said, no, step into this. This person's hurting right now. And you rejected fear, and you stepped into it, and you remember what happened? Or what it, whatever it was that you just wrote down. Can you, can you think back to that moment of joy? Someone asked me recently, we were at our, <clears throat> in fact, we were at our council meeting for the Josiah Venture uh, mission, which has been another wonderful thing that God has done. As many of you know, uh, the organization we went to Europe with ceased to work in Europe, and we had to figure out how we were going to uh, continue on, and God led a number of people together who were involved in uh, the development of youth ministry leadership in, in Eastern Europe, uh, led us all together, and uh, we created an organization called Josiah Venture, and it's been a wonderful, wonderful blessing. And I can't imagine how I would have gotten through the last two years if God hadn't put that support team together. And uh, I was just at the council, <clears throat> excuse me, the council meeting um, uh, just uh, earlier um, this year. And, and I was asked, you know, what, are, what, are, what has God taught you in, in the last year? And one of the, the main things that God has taught me is that when you get to the other side of faith, it's not as black and dark as you thought it was going to be. There is this wonderful enlightenment on the other side when you step across with faith. Because on this side of faith, it looks dark because it's illogical. You can't figure it out. But you step through faith and things are not as complicated as you thought they were going to be. It's not that big of a deal. God just wants you to step out and step into the unexplainable and do it by faith. But fear shouts, you better not because what if... You get over there and you can't handle it. What if you make that decision and it doesn't work out? And as you look at the things you've written down, I want you just to savor that moment. And it may have been last week and it may have been 10 years ago. I hope it was last week. When you chose faith over fear and you experienced, wow. There was that friend at school and the spirit just kept telling you to talk to him and Fear said, you better not open your mouth. He's going to think you're a jerk. Don't say anything. And you chose faith over fear and you got through that. And you know what? He said, man, I've been thinking about this kind of stuff. I'm so glad you asked me. And all of a sudden, there's this wonderful light on the other side that you didn't know existed. Because fear will lie to you and say it's not going to be there. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy and I will give thanks to him in song. That's why worship is the, is the final product of this whole thing. My heart leaps for joy. I see how big God is. I see how little I am. I'm a little grasshopper, but God is so big. And I walk into this thing and my heart leaps for joy. My heart is filled with a song. Psalm 28, 7. I think about the situation with Susanna a year ago. And many of you prayed for us. We didn't know what was going to happen. All of a sudden, your daughter can't walk. She's only 10 years old, 11 years old. And and the doctors run 60 tests on her and can't find anything. And we didn't know what was going to happen. But God, through that process, both in Clara's life and in Susanna's life and in our family, did some amazing things in just teaching us to trust him. And Susanna is walking around. She'll be out playing because God is bigger. And had God not chosen to do that, he would have walked us through it. And and Susanna might have been in a wheelchair today. And God would have had something in that. But we don't have to fear because fear does not come from God. Fear is a tool of the enemy. There's only one fear and that is the fear of God because he is the one whose hand is as wide as the universe. I love the faith of children. I think that's why Jesus said you got to come back to the faith of a little child because for a little child, it's not about logic. For us, it's about logic. A year and a half ago, I went out in front of my house. We, we, God wonderfully worked it out for us to buy a house, which was a huge miracle. And, uh, and we, we were able to buy the house because the part of town that we moved into is a, a pretty tough part of town. And so we were able to form that, uh, afford that house. And I walked out, and the car's gone. I had just bought the car uh, about three weeks before. And I walk out, and I do the normal thing. When you walk out and your car's gone, I panicked. And I run in the house, and I'm yelling, call the police, the car's gone, and everything. And Elliot, who was five at that time, said, Daddy, shouldn't we pray? And I said, go to your room. No, I didn't. Because Jesus said, you got to have the faith of a little child. Don't try to figure this out. Just trust me. My heart's filled with thoughts. I just bought this car. What am I going to do? How am I going to figure this out? They'll never. I mean, we live right next to the Polish border, and, and the Poles come and steal all the cars, and they sell them on the black market, and all this other stuff. And all these thoughts are going through my mind. And this little five year old says, Daddy, shouldn't we pray? So we prayed. And 24 hours later, the police called, and they said, We think we found your car. They had come 24 hours before and they said, you will never find this car. But they didn't have one little piece in their calculation. And that's the faith of a five-year-old. And so if you walk out tonight and talk to Elliot, who's seven now, and you ask him about our car, you know what he'll say? Oh, yeah, I prayed and God gave it back to us. Because that's what faith is all about. And that's what God is calling us into. But it's amazing how quickly, even though we see these things, how quickly we run back to fear. And the truth of the matter is, if you wrote something down, and even if it happened two weeks ago, probably since two weeks ago, you've come to another faith and fear crossroads and you've struggled with fear again, haven't you? In fact, I'd like for you to write one more thing or make one last list here before we close. And that is, I want you to write down everything you are fearing right now. I want you to be brutally honest with yourself. You're not going to turn this in. This is, this is for you. In fact, listen to me very closely. This may be one of the most important lists you have ever written in your life because some of you have been fearing things for 25 years, the same thing. And you are chained to that fear. I think that's why why many people never respond to the call of God in their life. It's because of fear. They're passionate about everything. They love Jesus and they've heard the call. And if not you, then who? And if not now, then when? And we sing it and it's all there. But fear keeps me tied. And it doesn't matter how old you are. Fear can mess you up when you're 13 or when you're 93. And I remember right when we left for Slovakia and I bought a mattress to take with me. Maybe you remember me telling this story. I was telling the mattress salesman in a little town in South Georgia that I was going to Slovakia to be a missionary and And as I'm telling them this story, I notice he's kind of staring out the window with a faraway look in his eye. And pretty soon, tears began to form on the side of his eyes. And he looked back at me and he said, I would imagine he was probably in his 60s. And he said, you know what? A long time ago, when I was probably about your age, I felt like God wanted me to do something like that. and I never went. And I walked out of there and I said, God, I don't ever want to be in my 60s or my 70s or my 80s and think, why didn't I do that? Why did I let fear keep me from entering into the supernatural, from doing what God wanted to do? One of the most significant moments of my life as a young man, I was 22 years old, and Claire and I led a team of young people on a missions trip to the Philippines, and uh, part of that trip was uh, going into China, and we sailed on a ship out of Hong Kong harbor up, up the river, and I stood on the, on the deck of that ship with a man, and he was just, uh, as we looked at Hong Kong fade into the, into the distance, and, and he began to just talk to me as, as a 22-year-old and just fill me with faith and say, follow Jesus and walk with Jesus. He was the evangelist with us on that trip. He was 82. His name was Dr. Carpenter from Kansas City. So here I was, 22, and there was Dr. Carpenter, 82. And at 82, not only was he preaching in the Philippines, but he was inspiring the heart of a 22-year-old young man to say, walk with Jesus and follow him and fight the fight. So I don't care how old you are, fear can keep you from what God has for you. We talk about staying where it's safe. I hear that all the time. Is it safe where you live? Of course it's not safe. But it's a whole lot safer than the United States. My goodness, my dad wrote and said, I'm so glad my kids don't go to American schools after all the shootings and stuff. And we, Satan will mess us up with so many things. My seven-year-old rides a city bus home from school by himself. I don't have to worry about things like that. But Satan will keep you here saying it's not safe out there. The world's a dangerous place. Because we go back to the things that we can hold on to. We can calculate. We We can manipulate. And the truth of the matter is, ultimately, that's what fear is all about. It's about death. It's about feeling like I'm going to lose control because I want to keep in control. It's it's the death of my control. It's the death, and it may be the death of, of my control over my life, my physical existence, but it may be the death of something else. The death of my plans. The death of the way I think it should work out. The death of holding on so that I can manipulate this situation to make it end up the way I think it should end up. And fear is all about death. But Hebrews 2, as we saw in Sunday school today, says, that's why Jesus came to break the hold of the fear of death. I thought about this a lot and I realized, you know, the best solution for fear and the best solution for the fear of death Is death. A dead person is not afraid anymore. When you walk up to a dead person and say, Boo, you know what he does? Nothing. He's not afraid anymore. And that's not such a radical idea. Jesus said that a long time ago. Unless a kernel of seed falls into the ground and dies. John 12, 24, it remains alone. You see, anytime we're faced with fear and we're holding on and the ultimate end of the thing is I'm not willing to die. I'm not willing just to totally surrender and say, God, you have me. You have my life. You know what happened? And I'm out of time here. I've got to to wind this thing up. But God led us into the most wonderful year and a half, this last year and a half. Through this whole thing, God was setting things up. And we, uh, I don't have time to go into the whole story, but God led us into, into the creation of a, a new little church. It was a group of believers that were desperate to see God work. There were about 50 of them, but they had come, the leadership of that group had come to the conclusion, we got to do whatever we need to to reach this city and the pastor came and he said, you know what? I believe that there are people in the church that have as many uh, gifts that need to be used as I do. And we need to create a situation. We need, to, we need to set up a leadership team here. And if I end up not even being the pastor of this church, I just want to be a part of a team that's reaching this city. And in his humility, they, they began to, to transform this little fellowship of, of believers into a powerful tool and they asked me to come and be a part of this and, and it was a wrenching time. I, I was telling Jerry, Jerry sitting in the back there, I was telling Jerry about it yesterday when we were at the airport, or coming back from the airport, it was, uh, for Claire and myself, it was one of the toughest times of our life because we had poured our life into this other uh, body of believers and, and, to, and to see that God was going to lead us out, it was that fear that said, what if? What if I leave this church and, and, and the manipulative comments were continuing to come? If you leave, then you're going to destroy your ministry. Who's going to send their youth workers to come to you if you can't even stay in, in your church? And you're going to go out and do your own thing and, and all types of things. And Satan was just brutal coming in trying to, to create fear in my heart. And God led us through that thing. And uh, the, the, the little church began, uh, they canceled everything. They canceled all the, the worship services, the Sunday schools, the small groups and everything. And, and the leadership said, we're going to just start praying. And we're going to pray till God shows us what we need to do. And on March uh, the 1st last year, uh, they began to pray. And, and we met on Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday evening at 5 o'clock, and we prayed. and We didn't know how long we were going to pray, but we prayed for three months, three times a week. And during that time, God put together a situation that is so incredibly healthy, a situation of a body that, of believers that is reaching that city. Uh, we're seeing people come to Jesus Christ, and we're seeing lives changed, and we're, we're seeing... Suddenly, uh, things working the way they should have from the very beginning. We're we're able to connect uh, the ministry of the cafe to this local church, and it's so healthy and it's thrilling to see my kids involved in a youth ministry now that is that is touching the lives of students. Fear said, "Don't do it because it'll the gossip about." about Compass being a sect, a cult will just be magnified and you won't have any kids coming. And just about a month ago, we had an outreach at the cafe. There were 300 teenagers at the cafe. They looked like ants crawling around. And Dawson and the group that he sings with, it was just amazing. His, I don't know how many of the kids from his class at the, at the high school were there. As Dawson, Dawson's teaching them worship songs. It was just I, just, I just sat there amazed. And all the fear that said it'll never work, it'll be the end of your ministry, you walk through it and God says, no, this is the beginning of something that you can't explain. After this decision, we had the largest number of kids come to the, our English camps. Uh, this, uh, last year, there were around 500 lost kids that came to evangelistic English camps. And what was incredible, because now we had the follow-up tool in place with this. We weren't trying to play politics with all the churches. Now we could really follow this up. Uh, Right after the camps last summer, we started a club that met every other week. And for this whole entire year, um, every other week, between 50 and 70 lost kids came every other week. To this club, And they we took them through a series called Learn How to Live. And it was all about learning how to follow Jesus Christ. And I sat there in the back and watched this thing. And I just said, God, you're so much bigger than fear. Three months ago, we had our national conference, our 12th annual conference. We've, we've done 12 leadership training conferences. And again, we had made some radical decisions. And Satan was saying, you're going to destroy your national ministry. You left a church, and, and one, uh, one uh, pastor said to me, uh, it doesn't matter how unhealthy this situation is, don't be an American, because Americans church hop. He was a Slovak pastor, and I said, this is not about church hopping. This is about obedience to God. And so I knew that there was a possibility that that it could affect our national ministry. But three months ago, we had our national conference, and there were 600 youth workers there, the biggest conference we've ever had. Because when you get on the other side of faith, you realize God's so much bigger than you thought he was, and faith would keep you from that moment. And I don't know where you are in your life right now, but God has taken us as a family, as a couple, through an incredible process. And we're on the other side and we're tired. We came back to the States very tired, uh, emotionally and physically worn out because of all of these things. I think we came out of the unhealthy situation that had totally drained me of everything inside of me and we went right into this church plant that was filled with life and I think I ran on adrenaline for a year and about three months ago the adrenaline ran out and, and it, was, it was just... Uh, uh, a time where I was realizing just how, how weak I am. But at the same time, God's saying, it's so bright on the other side if you'll step through in faith. And faith could have kept a lot of people from experiencing a lot of things. And faith will keep you. I'm sorry, fear. Fear will keep you from the things that God wants to take you into unless you choose to walk through there. That little French village, there were a group called the Huguenots. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They were part of the, the Reformation in France. A group of people, when they went back and did the documentary, there were two things that they found. Number one was that these people had a very strong sense of identity. They knew who they were. And the second thing was, they did what they knew was right. They didn't even think about it. Fear never came into the picture. They just did it. 5,000 Jews need to be hidden? We'll hide them. They didn't think about that. That's our problem. We try to logically step into this thing. But they knew who they were. They had been through incredible persecution from the Catholic Church, through the Reformation, and for many years, if you read that history. And you know what? Brother Vic this morning said, and he preached about it not long ago, Jesus said, you are solved. You are light. He didn't say, come on, guys, try to be salt and light. He didn't say that. He said, you are salt. So be salt. You're salt. You are light. Don't think about it. Just do it. Just do it. Walk into that thing. That's why the battle is up here in our mind. And if we we start to try to figure it out, we're not going to figure it out. You can't figure it out because you can't figure God out. Don't allow... No matter what it is, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. For the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? It's like my friend Dave that I work with, his dad was a missionary for years, and And he said, Dave, whenever you get into those tough times, remember, this is the part of the biography that gets really exciting. (laughs) And that's what we're all writing, that biography right now. And we can run from that part or we can stay there and in faith, walk through something that we will tell our children and we will tell our grandchildren and it will be to his praise. And the result of it is the nations who praise God. Or we can take the the path of fear and we can miss it. And I want to encourage you, write the part of the biography right in your life right now where it really gets excited. Don't run from that. Step into it right now. And whatever's on your list, whatever you wrote down, that's where God wants to take you right now. God, I pray that you will give us grace. And I thank you for what you...